Welcome to Servants of the Secret Fire, Episode 10, Fire by Day, brought to you by Creators Design Media, voice acted by Alyssa Sanford, written and produced by Daniel C. Sanford. For more information on Servants of the Secret Fire, you can look us up on Facebook at Servants of the Secret Fire Podcast. Twitter at The Secret Fire Audio, and Instagram, hashtag, Servants of the Secret Fire. Servants of the Secret Fire, Episode 10, September 7th, 2012, 10.35 a.m., Hickory Grove, Wisconsin. Jed spent the bulk of his office hours the next four days at Sage's bedside. As medication took its effect, Sage's vital signs stabilized, and his waking hours and energy level began to show signs of increase, much to Jed's pleasure. But still getting him to speak in coherent and full sentences seemed a nearly impossible task. It was on the morning of Sage's second day in the ICU that Jed began to gather scraps of information piecemeal about the aged wanderer's life. Although his answers were still cryptic, Jed was able to make out that Sage had lived on the street for much of his past several years. Major cities like Cincinnati, Detroit, and Chicago were mentioned, as was his proclivity for drifting from place to place. Sage, tell me why you're here. Jed finally got around to asking pointedly that morning. The voice, rasped the old man. The voice? What voice? asked Jed. The one whom he loves has the gift. Sage, said Jed, closing his eyes and pinching the bridge of his nose. You've lost me again. Who is it that you're talking about? At this time, and the multiple times following, in response to this question, Sage would lapse into a coughing fit or a spell of incoherent mumbling until Jed finally would become so frustrated that he'd walk briskly from the room in pursuit of yet another cup of coffee. Then, perhaps an hour later, Sage's eyes would flutter open and he would spontaneously begin again as if no time had seemingly passed. The one whom he loves has the gift. It was mid-afternoon of Sage's second day in the ICU. Jed dropped the magazine he had been staring at and looked up. All right, Sage, I got that, said Jed, trying to pick up the last strain of conversation and attempting to keep a lid on his growing impatience. Please... Tell me who is the one that he loves. Sixteen years. No one helps. No one looks but me. Easy, Jed. Please, Sage, just tell me who. The gifted one. The one whom he loves. He must find them. He must stop them. Then there would be nothing more for the rest of the day. Jed could have almost shaken the man awake if prudence would have allowed him to. It had occurred to Jed more than once to ask himself why he should even care. Sage was obviously either a nut or sick beyond any ability to think rationally. Jed was wasting valuable time, his time. Certainly there must be a retired couple at the church he could ask to play nursemaid to this old man. Yet, 
He couldn't quite shake the unnerving feeling that Sage had, indeed, come looking specifically for him. Why him? It's you, he had said. You must stop them. As unlikely as it was that Jed had anything to do with this man's rambling, the critic still held him captive. It's you that he asks for, Jed. You can't abandon him now. What if he's sent from God? What if he has a message for you? Will you just abandon him and go? What would Jesus do? But even deeper than the voice of the critic was an inner conviction that he had to stay with this man, to tend to him, to seek out the meaning of his cryptic replies. In a strange, unexplainable sense, Jed was surprised to discover that he actually wanted to be this mysterious one that Sage had spoken of, even if he had no idea who or what this one was. A moment later, he would think himself a perfect fool getting trapped into this whole mess. The third day passed without Sage uttering a word. Jed lingered at his bedside, hour after hour, hoping for some sign, any sign of movement. An overhead clock that could have been absconded from Jed's elementary school loudly jerked out the minutes, alerting him of the sluggish passing of time as the room in the ICU increasingly depressed him. For hours, Jed stared at the sterile white walls, the incomprehensible chromed instruments, the white and black checkered floor tiles, and reflected on what a horrible place this would be to spend the last hours of one's life. All of this, coupled with the temperature being set 10 degrees too low, the fluorescent lights buzzing like a swarm of angry gnats, and giving off a pasty bluish-white glare, that seemed like a cross between a black-lighted optometrist's reading chart and a violet electric bug zapper, only increased one's sense of alien discomfort. It angered Jed. Rather than providing a patient and their kin with the comforts and assurances of home, rooms such as this one slowly eroded away any sense of peace, dignity, and well-being. He was well aware that most hospitals had overcome this sickly vibe, but in some ways, Hickory Grove was still a very small town. By the fourth day, Naomi had begun to join Jed during his long vigils, temporarily freed from her responsibilities as a substitute teacher at the local school for special needs children. The seemingly fruitless watch lasted until 4 p.m. that afternoon when, without any forewarning, Sage's eyes fluttered open and in a hoarse whisper he rasped, The one that he loves. Startled out of his meandering reverie, Jed nearly fell out of his chair in his haste to spring to Sage's bedside. Sage, I I'm here. It's Jed. Jedediah, wheezed Sage. Yes, Sage, Jedediah, I'm here. The one that he loves. The one that he loves, Jed whispered, shaking his head and turning to his wife with an exasperated look. Sage, I still don't Jedediah. The one that he loves. Suddenly, Naomi raised her hand to her lips, then grabbed her husband's arm. Jed, I think I understand. Trying to politely hide his annoyance, Jed took a deep breath and answered, Understand what, Naomi? Your name, Jedediah. It literally means beloved of the Lord. Don't you remember? Sure I remember. My mother never lets me forget. But don't you see? interrupted Naomi. Jedediah, the one that he loves. Still confused with the riddle, Jed turned back to Sage and asked, Is that what you're saying, Sage? 
that you've been looking for someone named Jedediah? Not someone, said Naomi softly. You, Jed. Jed's irritation ratcheted up another notch. Babe, there could be 10,000 Jedediahs in the Midwest alone. He could have just picked me out of the phone book. This doesn't mean anything. But that quiet inner conviction that he had felt two days ago told him otherwise. Who is this guy? Why can't I shake this feeling? Sage spoke again. The one whom he loves has the gift. Naomi jumped in before Jed could start in again. Please, Sage, tell us, what gift does Jedediah have? Jed rolled his eyes and began to pace around the room. Sixteen years, breathed Sage, as if speaking to himself. Something clicked in Jed's brain and he walked back to the bedside. Sage, are you saying that you've been traveling city to city, looking up people with the name of Jedediah for sixteen years, all because some voice told you to find the one that he loves? I will show you came back the gravelly reply. Sage, this is crazy, said Jed, turning away and beginning another circuit around the room. Honey, please, said Naomi, but Jed charged ahead. He could feel the anxiety level ramping up inside him. I hate to break it to you, Sage, but the only gift I have is a really jacked up brain. Jed, exclaimed Naomi. No, Naomi. Jed's mind was in overdrive now. The curious muscle in his neck that tensed whenever his anxiety grew now pulled at him like a pit bull on a chain. This has gone on long enough. Sage, you're a very interesting but very sick man. I'm sorry, but I've spent all the time I can at this hospital. It's time for me to go. I will show you, said Sage quietly. No, Sage, this is goodbye. I wish you well. I will show you. No, Sage. Please, honey, interjected Naomi. No, Jedediah Joel Matthews. The words were spoken with the authority of an admiral on the deck of his flagship. Now both Jed and Naomi stood and gaped at the man lying before them, for his voice in that moment had taken on such a tone of authority that it was all they could do to keep themselves from answering meekly. Yes, sir. Quietly, with a slight upturn of the left corner of his mouth and a wry twinkle in his eye, Sage repeated again, I will show you. With that, he slowly and laboriously began to sit up and swing his legs over the side of the bed. Whoa, cried Jed. Hold on, Sage. You can't. I will show you, said Sage again, this time removing the sensors from his chest, the oxygen tube from his nose, then rising to his feet using the IV bag stand for leverage. Even Naomi began to protest by now. Sage, you can't do this. You're too weak. The nurses will be in any minute. I will show you, was all he said before rolling the stand ahead of him, his feet shuffling afterward in his hospital-issue slippers, inch by inch making his way toward the door of his room. Jed just looked at Naomi, then Riley said, Well, you're the one who got him all riled up, motioning her toward the doorway. Naomi gave him a look of exasperation, then headed out the door to follow the shuffling sage, who, by now, had turned the corner and was out of sight. Jed followed a few seconds later, slowly shaking his head from side to side. September 9, 2012, 4.15 p.m. Good afternoon, Mercy Hospital patient information. How may I help you? Room number, please. Patient name of Sage. I'm sorry, is that a first or a last name? 
just search for the name Sage, please. Okay, just a sec. Well, you're right. I do have a patient in ICU listed as Sage, no last name given. Would you like me to... The other end of the line went dead. Jed squinted in the late afternoon sun. Other than Sage taking an extra lap around the revolving exit door, their descent to the main entrance of the hospital was uneventful, if painfully slow. The sun now stood half-concealed by the enormous parking garage that stood adjacent to the main wing of the hospital 50 yards away, its dying rays shining down upon a sea of asphalt that docked the land yachts of the Mercy Hospital professional staff. Sage made his way stalwartly to the one isolated oasis of green grass, flowers, and shrubbery floating in the vast sea of black tar sitting in the shadow of the monolithic parking garage. Jed and Naomi followed, the former grumbling to himself the entire way and pretending to ignore the warning looks of his wife every time he began to ask Sage where exactly they were supposed to be going. At long last, the three arrived at the curb-encircled patch of green. Sage turned to face Jed and Naomi and, to their utter confusion, quietly removed his slippers. The three hospital orderlies, a woman and two men, converged upon the central hallway of the hospital's fourth floor, each arriving from separate directions. After making the briefest of eye contact, they made their way single file past the ICU reception desk that was manned by a dozing geriatric volunteer and walked the 20 yards necessary to stand shoulder to shoulder before the entrance of ICU's Bay 6. After a nod from her companion on the left, the female orderly lifted her hand slowly to the concealing curtain and quietly pulled it off to the side as it made a slow, whispering swoosh. All three looked upon the rumpled but empty bed before them. For crying out loud, Sage, blustered Jed, would you just tell us what this is all about already? The last threads of his limited patience beginning to fray. He shrugged off Naomi's staying hand and took a step closer to the old man. Sage, if you don't... The wizened figure put a hand on Jed's chest, the gesture being so strange that it stopped him in mid-sentence. Sage leaned his head forward until his nose was mere inches from Jed's own. I will show you, he said quietly. With that, he removed his hand slowly from Jed and gestured open-handedly to the ground between them. Jed thought his mind must be playing tricks on him, or at least he thought he must have taken an accidental overdose of his medication this afternoon. For in that moment, his eyes became riveted to Sage's gnarled feet as tiny tendrils of violent fire cracked around their edges like a miniature thunderstorm gracing the feet of some ancient Greek demigod. The violet fire grew in its intensity, holding Jed mesmerized and drawing Naomi open-mouthed to her husband's side. A moment later, Sage raised his lower hand to chest level and made a fist, allowing both Jed and Naomi's bodies to block the view of any prying eyes. To their mutual astonishment, the violet lightning surrounded Sage's feet, now manifested in his bald fist faintly at first, and then growing in intensity until both Jed and Naomi had to wince for all its brightness. Breathless, Jed's eyes lifted to the old man's face and found that Sage was already gazing intently at him, a faint smile tracing his cracked lips. Nodding faintly downward, Sage drew Jed's attention back to his hand. The brilliance of the fire had waned to half its former glory before Sage slowly opened his hand and extended it 
palm forward before him. To the stunned couple, it appeared as if a three-dimensional vertical arc had magically formed a transparent, purple, and body-length barrier between Sage and the two of them, its concave side facing inward toward the old man. They watched in fascination as the living membrane began to slowly extend itself outward from Sage's body until it came into contact with them. Jed experienced the strangest of sensations. There was no pain but rather a cool, tingling sensation as the violet half-bubble came into contact with his exposed skin. Against his will, he found himself moving backward, unable to resist the gentle but insistent pressure of the transparent sphere. Naomi also backpedaled three steps as she was nudged by Sage's violet shield. Sage, what is this? whispered Naomi with a hoarse and shaken voice. Instead of answering... Sage slowly retracted his shield until it appeared to draw itself back into the crackling tempest surrounding his hand. Looking deliberately from Naomi's face to Jed's, Sage again inclined his head, this time in the direction of a shrub on their left. Within its embrace could be seen a weather-beaten soda can lodged in one of its lower branches. Sage balled his wrinkled hand back into a fist, then suddenly one thin tendril of lightning shot forth from his clenched hand. Jed and Naomi watched in rapt fascination as the bolt landed onto the can and slowly pushed it out of the bush until it landed softly on the ground between them. Jed noticed momentarily that the electric fire still burned beneath Sage's feet before his eyes were drawn back to the aluminum can. The arcing thread of fire linked Sage's hand to the can, multiplied into two, then four, then dozens, before the engulfed can began to melt slowly under the intense heat. Less than ten seconds later, there was nothing left of the can, save for a silver puddle of molten slag staining the ground before them. With that, the fire in Sage's hand slowly withdrew, drawing Jed and Naomi's eyes back to the ground beneath Sage's feet. The violet fire cracked for a few seconds more before dying out altogether, seeping back into the soil that spawned it. Jed became aware that he was shaking. Naomi placed an unsteady arm around her husband to keep her own knees from buckling. Both of them pulled their eyes away from Sage's feet and looked intently and questioningly into his watery eyes. Sage, Jed managed hoarsely. What did we just... He never finished his sentence. For at that moment, the air around the three exploded in a blinding flash and Jed felt himself crumpling to the ground. Thank you for listening to Servants of the Secret Fire, Episode 10, Fire by Day. To download more episodes of Servants of the Secret Fire, please look us up on iTunes at Servants of the Secret Fire Podcast, SoundCloud at Daniel Sanford, and Stitcher at Servants of the Secret Fire. If you'd like to follow Servants of the Secret Fire on social media, please follow us on Facebook at Servants of the Secret Fire Podcast, Twitter at The Secret Fire Audio, and Instagram, hashtag Servants of the Secret Fire. Music and sound effects for this episode were provided by freemusicarchive.com, 
bensound.com, purple-planet.com, and freesound.org. Thank you for listening to Servants of the Secret Fire from Creators Design Media.